Welcome to Help Me to Understand, a podcast where women give their voices to issues of social justice, political activism, giving back, and other topics relevant today. I'm your host, Felicia Garland. As you look around, you can't avoid the fact that we live in an age of political and social divisions, global warming, economic and racial inequality, and a breakdown in many of our social structures. And that was just this morning's news. I find it can be all so confusing, and I bet you do as well. Perhaps you'd like to make a difference in the world, even if only a small one, but you feel you need more knowledge and understanding around the issues we face in order to develop the tolerance, empathy, and compassion you need to become a force for good. It's my mission with this podcast to hear from women who are working every day to make a difference. So welcome, curious listener, to this journey of discovery and understanding. I'm so glad you're here. Together, let's become a force for good. Hi, and welcome back to Help Me to Understand, a podcast for those eager to learn more about issues of social justice, political activism, giving back, and how to make the world just a little bit better for all of us. Today, I'll be speaking with Father Terrence Moran about human trafficking, a subject that I thought I knew something about. I believe you'll be surprised by the breadth of activities that fall within the definition of human trafficking. I certainly was and what the average person can do to help victims escape their abusive situation. So why am I talking to a priest about human trafficking? Well, Father Moran isn't the sort of parish priest I recall from my days growing up attending St. Teresa's in Portland, Oregon. Rather, he's a community activist, theologian, and a leader on issues of peace, justice, and ecological integrity. Importantly, to my mind at least, Father Moran is living the ideals of peace and justice, frequently espoused by Christians of all denominations. By way of background, Father Moran is a native of Danbury, Connecticut, and while growing up there, developed a love of nature and the peace and tranquility it provided him. He spent a brief time as a parish priest, but soon shifted his focus to teaching moral theology. He is presented on topics of theology and spirituality throughout the U.S. and in 35 foreign countries. For the past 10 years, he served as the director of the Office of Peace, Justice, and Ecological Integrity for the Sisters of Charity of St. Elizabeth in Convent Station, New Jersey. Here's my conversation with Father Moran. Peace. Hi, Father Moran. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Felicia. Great to be with you. Just before... We did this conversation. I do some research, and I was very surprised about how little I knew about human trafficking. I thought I knew a fair amount, but I had a vision, frankly, of a predator hanging out at a bus stop, for instance, looking for a one runaway and pressing them into prostitution. But it's clearly much, much more than that. I found a couple of facts, and then you can. I'd like you to tell me how you define human trafficking and what the activities are. But I saw that two out of three victims in the United States are U.S. citizens. I found that to be highly interesting and that there are about 246 million children around the world that are being trafficked, just to get a kind of a scope there. So bring us up to speed on human trafficking and then um, how these activities take place. How pervasive are they? Okay. 
I sympathize completely with your sense of surprise because uh, it was a steep learning curve for me too when I began working on this issue very intensely. So I think one of the most important things we can do is educate people because a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions. Mm -hmm. In general, when people when people hear the word slavery, they automatically think of the Atlantic slave trade from Africa to the New World. But in fact, there are more slaves now in the world than at the height of the Atlantic slave trade. Most people, when they think of trafficking, think of sex trafficking, and that certainly is a significant percentage of trafficking. But in actuality, of the number, statistics are hard to come by because obviously trafficking thrives underground and Mm -hmm. people who are trafficked often don't come forward for their sense of safety. So they estimate there's about between 600 and 800 million people trafficked across borders. 4.5 million of them are for sexual exploitation. A far larger number, 14.5 million, are labor trafficked, people who are uh, forcibly moved across borders for the purposes of work. So uh, again, the idea of sex trafficking gets a lot of uh, coverage because obviously it's the sexier form of trafficking. Mm -hmm. But the way most of us uh, benefit from uh, human trafficking is from from our participation in in labor trafficking. In terms of what human trafficking is, uh, for something to be considered human trafficking, three things uh, have to be present. Things regarding the process, things regarding the ways and means, and things regarding the goals. And you have to check off something at each column for the experience to be human trafficking. So not all mm-hmm. migration, not all movement of people across borders is human trafficking. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the process, there has to be a trafficker involved in one or more of the following, in recruitment, in transportation, in transferring people from one place to another, a place of work or a place of sex work somebody who offers housing or harboring to a trafficked person, somebody who receives a trafficked person. So as you can see, there's a complicated human chain of when we talk about traffickers, people who participate in a variety of ways. The means they use, there has to be an element of threat or coercion. So somebody who freely, you know, emigrates to to another country for work is not necessarily a victim of human trafficking. The trafficking can take the form of abduction, but it also can take the uh, the form of fraud. People often are promised, I'll bring you to uh, the United States and find you a job as an actress or a secretary or some other wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is give me your passport and I'll set uh, set up all the procedure. More often, I think it's by fraud or deceit or abuse of power. Very often, trafficking is relational. Sadly, there are cases of parents, for example, trafficking their children. People who are in relationships, affectional relationships, sometimes are uh, in relationships of trafficking as well. So the, the third thing, the goal, would be the more typical things, as I said, we think of with sex trafficking for the purposes of prostitution, for the purposes of making pornography, for other kinds of sexual exploitation. But also, as I mentioned, more frequently, forced labor, involuntary servitude, also debt bondage. 
you know, I agreed to, to bring you to this other country and now you owe me money to pay, pay me back for my trouble. So for something to be human trafficking, it has to have an element, each of those three boxes that were a process, uh, the means, the ways and means, and the goal. Mm-hmm. It sounds as though but there's kind of a common thread here. It's to some extent, money is involved in all of these. It's either who has it, who needs it, or who wants it. So the coercion is, you know, it's purely, as you said, it's fraud, it's need, debt bondage, those kinds of things. What do you mean exactly by debt bondage? I'm thinking, uh, again, of, of an immigrant. You said it, it was somebody who, who didn't voluntarily enter into this. But we read all the time about immigrants coming over the border, dying in a truck, because there's 30 of them in there, the trafficker leaves the truck and they unfortunately die in there. But they seem to have sort of voluntarily entered into this. Now, whether you can argue whether it's voluntary if they're being persecuted in their own country, but is there a difference there Does uh, in terms of what's defined as trafficking and how does money play a role in all of this? Well, it's all about money. Trafficking is uh, coming to be a uh, one of the most lucrative forms of international trade. Some people estimate it makes more money than drug trafficking. And ironically, the penalties for human trafficking in many countries, and even in some states in the United States, are less severe than for drug trafficking. So it's a very, very, very lucrative proposition. It's all about money. Mm -hmm. To speak specifically about your question about debt trafficking, Something, um, a transaction that didn't begin as trafficking can become trafficking. So somebody can say, an immigrant, for example, to the United States can decide, yes, I want to pay a coyote, as they say, to transport me to the United States. Mm -hmm. But if that person, for example, uh, starts asking for more money that was agreed upon and saying, you know, I won't let you go until you pay me this money or you have to do this work to earn money to pay me back for my trouble, or confiscates Mm -hmm. their passport, or keeps them in housing where they don't have any access to the outside world. Uh, So something that began seemingly, as you said, how voluntary migration is in general, it's nobody's first choice. But something that began seemingly voluntarily can turn into a relationship with traffic. Okay. That sounds like it might also hold it, it starts out in a again defined choice if you have no other economic means but even say sort of prostitution to a certain extent i mean again i don't know women how uh, they voluntarily enter into it but can you speak a little bit about that is that considered maybe there isn't a voluntary component maybe i have a very old-fashioned you know <laughs> i guess not view of it necessarily but understanding of it. Yeah, that, that's certainly a very uh, controverted question in the sociology and the ethics of all this about at least the theoretical possibility of there being people, both men and women, who choose to be sex workers, who know yeah. what they're doing and choose to make a living that way. And, you know, as somebody has pointed out, if you work for anybody, you are using your body for somebody else's well, benefit. That's true. But certainly in the world of trafficking, there has to be the element of coercion. And very often in sex work, there is that element of coercion. 
Okay. I'm a little embarrassed as a, a woman. I've had to think of myself as being more enlightened, but clearly in that point, I wasn't. Because of the money factor, we have, in a sense, sweat labor in this country. And if there wasn't that demand for that, would there be as much trafficking in that arena? The fact that employers want to find people who will work for very low wages, presumably they are as low wage earners, they don't have a lot of power in this dynamic, and they are coerced into this kind of labor. Exactly. And that's always been one of my, uh, you know, as I've been involved in this issue, one of my big concerns is that almost always we approach the issue from the point of view of doing something about the traffic people. Mm-hmm. We rarely look at doing something about the consumers, as it were. Right. And as you know, even in uh, enforced sex work, uh, the penalties for the workers are much graver than the penalties of the, the consumers. Yes. And that one is a amazing to me. I mean, I think we could, I'm thinking of a certain former president, of course, who had under, I think, illegal immigrant workers. And of course, I'm sure they were underpaid. And even a, a woman who was nominated to be, I think, the U.S. Attorney General had to pull out her or uh, remove herself, declined to, you know, to, to be the Attorney General because she had hired a lot of families to take advantage of lower wage women to help take care of their children. And that's uh, a huge, I mean, I'm sure the women who do this work, again, they have no power in this situation and they are being abused in many cases, but that's, you know, that's right next door. That could be your neighbor or you may not even think about it or the, the fellows who were, you know, brought in to mow your lawn. I mean, you even know in that case. To your point about actually penalizing the victims, I, I read that there was a legislation introduced in 2017, and it was designed to, or the idea was to protect victims of online human trafficking or, you know, online pornography. And it was actually defeated because there was such a strong lobby of pornography, somehow, industry, that that was going to be an infringement on First Amendment rights. So the legislation, you know, got buried one of and kind of in that vein, one of the things that I found as a parent to be very scary was the idea of online predators for children. And what do you see in that area as far as again how pervasive is it and how did we get those predators? Yeah, traffickers will use any means possible. And I'm sure as you know, as a parent, it's virtually impossible to control mm-hmm. uh, your child's access to the World Wide Web. So, yeah, certainly that is uh, uh, an area where parents and, and teachers and things like that need to, to educate young people. I give a lot of talks in high schools about trafficking, and it is absolutely astounding. I ask the kids, particularly young women, have you ever been in a mall uh, where somebody comes up to you and says, you're very pretty. Did you ever consider mm-hmm. a career as a model? In every high school I've talked to, there have been a large number of kids that have had this experience. And that's a typical ploy of, of a trafficker. Uh, meet me, you know, at such and such a place, I'll take pictures and I'll, uh, you know, I'll get you into the industry. And um, mm-hmm. the next thing they know, they could be possibly victims of human trafficking. Traffickers are, are very astute and have a lot of tools of psychological manipulation in their toolkit. Very often, 
when it's in terms of not just trafficking within the United States, which happens more than people realize. Mm-hmm. Often uh, trafficking from other countries, uh, pressure is put, if, if you don't do this, I know where your family is and I will, okay. you know, I'll take care of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that kind of coercion. So yeah, traffickers very often, uh, particularly when we're talking about trafficking on, on the very organized level, know all the psychological tricks in the book of how to, to manipulate people and keep people in a state of, of psychological and physical dependence. So, so versus this situation with high school girls, I imagine part of it is I'll, I'll tell your parents, or they could be abducted and forcibly put into this life. So they aren't runaways. They're being abducted. You said in that, those kind of cases, is there a network? Is this a one-off? There's you know, some guy doing it? Or is there a whole organization behind this? Can there be? Uh, both. Trafficking is part of an international criminal syndicate. The same kind of people who would traffic in arms, who traffic in drugs. As I said, they found uh, that this is um, cheaper and more lucrative. Mm-hmm. But there are also individual traffickers who operate on their own, who have a small business, uh, ironically speaking. So it runs the gamut between something that's very highly organized to uh, one person or a small group of people who, who mm-hmm. run a trafficking outfit. I think most people have probably seen either a dramatization of, or in a real case or a couple of cases where women have been abducted and are found many years later. And I think a lot of people are sitting there going, well, they didn't yell. They didn't, they took them to the store and they didn't say anything. They didn't grab anybody. They didn't go, hey, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm captive. How are the predators able to get by with that? How could they? Well, when you, I mean, when you know the, the ways of, of uh, psychological manipulation and psychological bondage, and the longer, you know, the situation lasts, the less the people think they have any recourse to anything else. A shocking statistic to me is last year, the year before, the, the number of people who called the, uh, trafficking hotline that we have in the United States, 50% mm-hmm. of them, fully half of them reported seeing a medical professional during that year, but never with the medical professional ever inquired about signs of trafficking and the person never said anything about it. Mm-hmm. The degree of psychological thrall is, is incredible. And also the, the, the form of threat. And frankly, mm-hmm. if you're in this situation, it's not as if you can say, well, to, I'm going to walk out tomorrow and get a really good job. The options for desperate people are very limited. But the, the factor of psychological manipulation is very important. And also threat. Again, I will. we know where your family is back in Mexico. We'll, we'll hurt them if you say anything. Often people trafficked from other countries are purposely kept isolated. They don't know the language. They don't know who would they go to. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those factors combined work in the trafficker's favor. In some cases, does the victim actually develop a bond, a not a loving bond, but a, a sense of relationship with the predator? Is that part it of what goes into possible. this or is that a and mm-hmm. that would be one of the tools in the psychological toolbox of 
of the trafficker or the predator. Sure. I also read that they talk about different locations or places where human trafficking shows up. Sporting events. What can you say about that that explain what that is? There's anti-trafficking organizations in recent years have often used the Super Bowl, for example, as an opportunity to raise consciousness about trafficking. And there's no question that a big uh, sporting event that's going to bring people from a lot of different places to usually a big city, Mm -hmm. traffickers see that as an opportunity. However, I, I often point out that if you live, I live in New Jersey, if you live in a place like New Jersey, there's a Super Bowl size event right. every week, you know, with, with venues like the Meadowlands and, and, you know, the different sports stadiums we have. So it's, it's certainly been a benefit in terms of educating about trafficking. And there's often intensive efforts in the cities where the Super Bowl or some other major, the World Series takes place. But if you live in a place that has um, a big city, particularly a port city, a transportation hub, probably those are more important factors than Mm -hmm. merely a sports event. Okay. Same factors, just maybe on a different scale one time, but they actually bring women, organizations will bring women in because, again, there's a demand Mm -hmm. there. I Again, I might have this very outdated notion, but it seems as though, say, with prostitution, they seem to be going after the prostitutes. Now, maybe they're easier to arrest and and prosecute. But again, if there were no demand, this wouldn't be an issue. Right. The people who are benefiting from this service are usually well-connected and wealthy and powerful and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, all the kind of people that the system is set up to benefit. Right. One area I did also want to cover, (laughs) a couple of them, but one of them was forced marriage and how prevalent that is, again, domestically, and that the victims are U.S. citizens. You know, we're not bringing somebody in from a foreign country, but a couple ones come to mind. But can you speak to that situation? Sure. The United States is a source country for trafficking victims. It's a transit country for trafficking victims. It's a destination country. So it's not just, you know, again, the typical image of somebody being brought in from the outside. People are trafficked within the United States. Mm -hmm. I forget the exact number, but you'd be shocked at the number of states that do not have a law against the marriage of juveniles. If you have your parents' permission, you you can marry as a minor. It's astounding. And, you know, what 14 or 15 year old is free to choose to marry is, you know, the, the idea is Yes, if your parents force you into it, you'll have blood choice. Right. But yes, there's a significant amount of trafficking that happens within the United States. The famous, uh, you know, uh, getting your, your drink drugged in a bar. Okay. Oh, hadn't even thought of that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, trafficking is not merely an into the United States situation. It's a very vigorous industry within the United States. And one of the problems is that although we've we've been catching up rapidly in recent years, is that states have very different legislation in regard to to trafficking. Mm -hmm. In many states, even if you do come forward, prosecuting a trafficker uh, is very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. 
Another factor is, for example, here in New Jersey, we have some of the best trafficking laws in the United States. But the rub in, in legislation always is funding. The uh, Sisters of Charity that I worked for, we've been in a relationship with the famous Special Victims Unit of the FBI, who are the first, oh, okay. first responders uh, in terms of trafficking. And uh, one of the things we've done is just take up collections uh, because often this FBI agent will find somebody who's a victim of human trafficking and who does want to get out, but there's mm -hmm. no place to take them. There's uh, nothing to give them, uh, even you know, to give them money to buy dinner that night. The whole thing, although the legislation is there, the, the program is mm -hmm. woefully underfunded. Uh, so, okay, so even if you find somebody, mm -hmm. you have to be able to provide them an option. Uh, and often that's not possible. So the humanitarian side of it, again, the housing, the uh, feeding, clothing, getting them wherever help their situation, that's one side of the equation. But without resources and the difficulty in prosecuting, is there a big, and if you have laws, is there a big effort on the part of states or localities to actually do something about human trafficking or is it one of those things where oh you know it's kind of we can't do it over there we don't have anybody to really deal with it or do it or you know but what are the governmental type efforts to again it differs from state to state in recent years certainly the united states government has made dramatic improvements even in recognizing the problem in issuing a statistical report every year but on the ground, it would differ from state to state. And when you're talking about traffickers, you're talking about generally people with money, people with power, people whom the law tends to benefit, you know, who can buy a good lawyer. Right. It would vary from state to state, but certainly consciousness has generally been raised. The federal government is uh, much more active than it used to be. This is certainly mm -hmm. a problem on the radar of both federal and local government in a way that it wouldn't have, certainly wouldn't have been even 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, before we get into talk about helping victims who, to a large extent, are probably all around us, and we don't know, and I'll, I'll ask you to talk about that, but I'm giving a lot of information about myself here, but I have a pretty 1950s, 1960s view of the Catholic Church. I was raised as a Catholic. Why is the church involved in this? at all levels. And why now? Certainly, when you talk about the kind of the archetypal experience of, of trafficking and slavery, the, you know, the European slave trade, the American slave trade, the church participated. Uh, the church in this country in the 18th century owned slaves. Georgetown University was built by selling the Jesuit slaves. My alma mater, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> well, there Very you go. sad to see that. I mean, yeah. Embarrassed yeah. to see that. Yeah. You know? yeah. But certainly in in the past 50 years, certainly since the Second Vatican Council, and much more emphasis on the church's social teaching, the church has, is one of the most active voices in the world, both in terms of leadership and also in terms of on the ground action uh, in dealing mm -hmm. with human trafficking. Pope Francis has spoken about it a significant number of times. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the print, the basic principle of Catholic social teaching, the uh, inherent dignity of the human person, 
that every human person has the right to autonomy, to freedom, to to education, to livelihood, to all of those things. Uh, the church in the past 50 years, and I'd say even more in the past uh, 20 years, has been a very important global source because the Catholic Church is one of the truly global organizations where there's a, a rare country that we don't have a significant presence in. So the, the church is very active. I'd have to say, too, among church organizations, uh, congregations of religious women, sisters or nuns, mm -hmm. as people say, are very, very active in this issue. And that's really how I got involved, by becoming work for uh, the Sisters of Charity. Mm -hmm. One of the best websites, for example, on trafficking is the site United States Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking. You just Google that. Uh -huh. Great, great resources there. They have an annual conference. So I would say that uh, sisters in particular are very, very active, both in education and also serving the needs of trafficked people on the ground. Also because many congregations of women religious also are international. Mm -hmm. One of the very impressive things, uh, for example, in, you know, in the Northeast where I am, a number of religious women have banded together to um, uh, support safe houses. So that when someone does want to uh, escape from trafficking, there is a place where they can go. Obviously, the location of these houses are kept secret because of course, they don't want the traffickers obviously showing up on the front door. Mm -hmm. But there are some, a number of them in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, where in many cases, sisters live with women who have recently left trafficking uh, just to be a supportive presence. They also avail themselves of all the, the psychological and social services that are that are available. But just providing a healing environment, as you can imagine, the amount of trauma that somebody who is a victim of trafficking is experiencing. Yeah, they have probably have no trust left, really, exactly. in a lot of places. Well, I am familiar a little bit with work of, of sisters, religious women, as you said, in the last number of years. I, I think people would be very surprised at how active religious women are in a variety of social issues. But I know they want more information to get out about what they do, not for themselves, but to know, so people have know about the resources. But I, as you said, I imagine there's also a certain kind of, they want to keep it not secret, but have to, for protection of the victims, they have to also do it a little bit more quietly. Now, you coordinate the social justice work for the Sisters of Charity, who are, as you said, in, in northern New Jersey. So how did you get involved there? I mean, I know you've had a long history of being an activist in environmental. I know that's a big issue for you. But other social justice issues, is, how did you come to be doing this? Well, as you said, I've been justice advocate one way or another for a long, long time. But it was kind of a side gig while I was, you know, doing other things. <laughs> but I, I have a long association with the Sisters of Charity. I taught in our university here for a number of years. And um, it just happened that I, about 11 years ago, I saw an ad that they were advertising for a full-time uh, director of the Office of Peace, Justice, and Ecological Integrity. The want ads. You were you the, the, the want, want ads. ads. <laughs> and so I thought, gee, that's something... I would like to to give myself full time to this. So I applied and was hired and mm -hmm. here I am. The rest is history. 
I know you speak all over the country and even internationally on these topics. So I'm, it's, I'm thrilled to have you. Now, okay, we discussed human trafficking is and victims are all around us. So how do we know? How do we recognize them? What do we do if we do find somebody in that situation? What can the average person do? Going to one of these websites that tells you the signs of of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. If you do see something, for example, if you see a man dragging an obviously distressed woman through the airport. That would be. That could be. Yeah. Very often, nail parlors, the women who work in in these nail parlors, uh, can be victims of human trafficking. Really? Yes. Yeah. Wow. And again, that's labor trafficking. Mm -hmm. A common thing, I'm not saying this is every occasion, but if you ever Mm -hmm. been approached by a kid outside of a supermarket or in a mall asking you to buy candy to support their soccer team? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. I'm not saying every time, but it's it's possible that some of those children are victims of human trafficking. They're being forced by adults to work very long hours selling candy that isn't for a soccer team. It's for the benefit of the adults. You know, something that seems like the most wholesome thing in the world. Yeah. I've bought a few candy sure, bars. Sure, sure. And you I get my nails that. done, you know, at places where, wow. Great. Talk about As that. the example you used Same. before. People who work on lawn crews. Now, uh, not everybody, certainly, many of them are legitimate, but it is it is mm-hmm. possible. The first thing to realize is not to engage yourself. None of us are mm-hmm. in the position to intervene in a situation of violence like this, because it is a form mm-hmm. of violence. So if you see something that is suspicious looking, the first thing you should do is call 911. Okay. There also is a national trafficking hotline, and I'll give you the, uh, the, the number. Okay. 1-888-373-7888. And I suggest people just put that into your, um, into your cell phone. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful because they have people who speak a variety of languages, who have access to resources. So one of, I mean, one of the things concretely we've, we've done, that there's often a thing called a soap campaign where you get volunteers, we've gotten sisters, uh, to take mm-hmm. these little small bars of soap like you would see in a motel bathroom. And yep. on the back of it, it has the trafficking hotline number. So we just ask motel owners, can we put these bars of soap in the bathrooms in your room? Because a woman who is involved in sex trafficking, they always have a cell phone. And often the only time they're alone is when they're in Mm -hmm. the bathroom. Every time we've done this, that very day, a motel where we've left the soap, it gets a Mm -hmm. uh, hotline gets a call from that. So that's that's. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And they have cell phones because that was one of my concerns is, you know, there are all kinds of websites, there are telephone numbers. But how could they call? They I hadn't even thought about they'd have to have a cell phone to work. Huh. Again, I want to emphasize, although sex trafficking is the more interesting topic, the way most of us are involved in trafficking is through labor trafficking. Yes. And, you know, speaking of none of us can live without our cell phones, but uh, cell phones, the microchips in cell phones and in computers on the computers we're using right now, all require the use of very rare mineral elements that are mined in Africa. 
a large percentage of the miners of these elements are children. That's a form of trafficking. Mm -hmm. But if you use a cell phone, you're benefiting from human trafficking. We're all about to give out candy for Halloween. Much candy, again, comes from child labor, very often in Africa. Uh, the candy that's produced by the large candy corporations. So one of the concrete things we can do is to make sure that the candy you buy is fair trade, where it's uh, guaranteed that the workers who make it are paid a just wage, and also that it's grown and harvested and all of that in an ecologically sustainable way. So using as many fair trade products as we can, coffee, tea, mm -hmm. buying cheap, well, that's another example. If you buy something from the dollar store, you probably are buying something made by a victim of, of labor trafficking. So, you know, looking for the, the best buy that we always try to do, mm -hmm. unbeknownst to us, we are participating in the oppression of people. And I always say, you know, look at your seven-year-old son or daughter or nephew or niece or grandchild. You wouldn't want them working in a mine. And so yeah. why would you want to participate in somebody else's children doing that? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sitting here with my mouth half open because thinking of all the things, honestly, I wasn't even sure 100% what fair trade meant. I was always thinking of the ecological side of it. Mm -hmm. But of all the places where, you know, we're happily, people are picking our lettuce and uh, again, mowing our lawns or doing all sorts of things or taking care of our children, that we on individual level just kind of poo-poo or we don't know or we don't think about it. But the awareness now that I have as a parent of, of two sons, I can't imagine the, even the thought of their being abducted or being on the computer. But yeah, forced labor would be beyond. But again, it's all around us and we're all in a way subsidizing it. I'm sure there's a lot more we could talk about. Is there anything else before we go specifically that you'd like to address or want us to know? Just as we were talking about at the beginning for, you know, anyone who listens to this to educate yourself as much as you can about this issue. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of excellent videos on trafficking. Some are documentaries and some are, you know, fictionalized movies. Get a group mm -hmm. of your friends together and to just watch a video and talk about it. I mean, the, the, the wonderful thing is, is that when people do learn about human trafficking, they are rightly appalled and very often motivated to want to do something. That's the first question mm -hmm. everybody asks, what can I do? Okay. In pretty much anywhere in the United States, there is some kind of local anti-trafficking organization. Uh, so get okay. in touch with them. We work in collaboration with, with a lot of them here. But engaging in education is crucial because traffickers depend on working in darkness, working when people are ignorant, the more anyone knows about these things, the better it is for people who are victims of human traffic. Thank you for that. I will be putting links to your social media, the Sisters of Charity website, and also the website you mentioned, the U.S. Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking on the Help Me to Understand website, because I found that to be, as you said, a fabulous source of information and so forth. Where can one find something if there is such a thing, and maybe it's on these various websites, those sort of common day things that the average person is, again, taking advantage of or utilizing services that I'm totally not aware of it, you know, kind of every day. Is there such a place to go to find that or which one, maybe we've mentioned it, but which one would you find that, you think? 
certainly on the U.S. Sisters Against Human Trafficking website. Okay. It's incredibly comprehensive. And you'll find, you know, anything you need there in terms of education, advocacy, and action. Also on, on our website, the Sisters of Charity website, on the trafficking section, I think there is somewhere there, there's a list of 10 things you can do to fight human trafficking. Okay. It is an international problem, but it is one that's also next door to you and something that you can do something about. When you think about it on an international level, it sounds so so remote and so impossible, but it's nice to know that, I mean, it isn't nice to know. It's sorry that it happens here, but that there's something we can do. Thank you so much, Father Moran, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Felicia, for giving me the opportunity and uh, hope people who listen to this will be motivated to learn more and to act. Good. That was my hope. Thanks again. You're very welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of Help Me to Understand. If you like what you've heard, please go to our website, helpme2understand.com to listen to more great episodes. Or better yet, subscribe to receive new episodes as they are released. I'm so glad you can join me. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.